This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. Did that get your attention? Maybe this might. If this were your marketing message to hold attention, you might need something really explosive, perhaps every five seconds or so. The success of your marketing message might depend on its ability to attract and hold the attention of an audience that will buy in or reject it within seconds. So says marketing expert Amy Balayette. Founder of Killer Visual Strategies of Seattle, she's our guest on this expanded business podcast. Now, we cannot promise you kittens, race cars, or explosions every five seconds, but we can pretty much guarantee you some penetrating insights. Let's set the table, if we, do, if we can, Amy, by telling our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. How do you get from uh, a small town in Kentucky to where you are today? A small town in Ohio, actually. Um, so I grew up outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and um, moved across the country to Seattle, Washington in 2004, just two weeks after I graduated college. Um, I was ready to, to go somewhere else and to kind of experience a new city. But I also really love Cleveland fall and Seattle's weather is basically Cleveland fall year round. So <laughs> the weather was perfect um, and the city is just ridiculously beautiful. Um, but I went to film school and really focused on visual storytelling as a big part of um, what I wanted to do in life. And then I minored in marketing. And over the course of my 20s, I kind of did, did a bunch of different types of jobs and careers, really kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. But eventually I found out that, you know, the combination of, of marketing and visual storytelling is visual communication. And so I accidentally started my agency. It wasn't an intentional, um, it wasn't an intentional business model. It was really just a way to kind of help me um, bring money into a different business I was trying to run and pivoted into Killer after a few months because Killer was clearly, um, it was taking off. And it took me a long time to realize that it was taking off because it's where I was really passionate. It's, it's what I really wanted to be doing and what I really enjoyed um, enjoyed doing. Whereas the other business model was really just kind of a focus on trying to get rich quick, honestly. Um, it just wasn't the right business model at all. Even the name of it, we called it Seven Figure Project. So clearly we had a goal of, of making a million dollars. We should have said eight figure project or something like that. We should have set the bar higher. <laughs> well, if Seven Figure Project might have turned off a few would be customers and said, oh my gosh, I don't think I can afford that. Right? So true. <laughs> now, when it comes to visual communications, an, an awful lot of small business people think, well, we've got a logo uh, and we can put some pictures on the website. Is that about all they have to do? Not even close. Um, the fact of the matter is, is today's audiences demand visual content to learn about your company. 
they don't want to read about your company. They don't want to get on the phone and talk to you about your company. They want to watch a video to learn about your company. They want to look at infographics to learn about your company or a visually rich ebook. They don't want to have kind of the traditional means of connecting with a B2C company. And it's true in the B2B world as well. It's not just B2C. Um, but the fact is, is 91% of audiences today prefer visual content as their primary, secondary, and tertiary form of information delivery. Uh, how do you know that and why? Um, I know that through the fact that we do a heck of a lot of research on this. That is a statistic that comes directly from the demand gen report, and it also comes from a study that HubSpot did as well. Now, the reason is just because of our brain science, honestly. We are inundated with information all around us. We have the ability to make our own facts, as we know, to really kind of live in our own echo chambers. And the things that cut through the noise are, are really what grabs our attention. Well, visual information gets to the brain 60,000 times faster than any other form of communication that exists. It's what grabs our attention. The reason it grabs our attention is because it's the path of least resistance. That, that entire phrase, path of least resistance, comes from brain science. It's the concept that our brain is made up of neural pathways. Some neural pathways are really short. Some are really long highways that kind of you know, go back and forth and wind around. And our brain will always subconsciously prefer to use the easiest, quickest neural pathway to take information in. Well, that's visual information. The, the majority of the cerebral cortex is made to actually take in, digest, and store visual information. And any audible or text-based information we take in, we actually translate it into visuals just to store it in our brains. So visual content breaks through the noise. It breaks out the middleman of text and audible information and really helps people digest content. It, it sounds like we're going to move into a comic book based world and Shakespeare and, and Hawthorne, et cetera, will have no place unless they can draw some stick figures. So luckily, this doesn't mean that the written word is dead. I mean, I just wrote a book that was 40,000 words. So the written book is not dead. The written word is not dead, pardon me. The, the, the thing is, is we've spent so many years saying don't judge a book by its cover. And really what we have to do is recognize the fact that we judge everything by visual content, by, by the cover. We won't open a book unless the cover engages us. We won't buy a book on, on Amazon unless we see a thumbnail that really interests us and then we click in, then we maybe click through some pages of the book. But all in all, we're not just gonna go right to reading text. You now need to take some extra steps to get people into that book. So if your business is a book, you need to take all of these extra steps to provide all of these different book covers that force people to crack open the book of your business and to really dive in and read. But the first few points of connection, that primary, secondary, and tertiary point of communication, those need to be really highly visual in nature. And another stat that's really important to know is 94% of first impressions are based on design. So 
you can't just deliver visual content and say, I'm done. It has to be high quality, well-designed visual content to truly succeed. Well, there goes the thoughts of doing the company story on an iPhone with a blurry camera. Uh, one thing we need to touch on, because I'm sure somebody who's watching this might, might have noticed, that thing over your right shoulder, that's a book. Tell us yep. about it. So this is my first book. Um, I, I basically took all of the lessons that I have learned over the past 10 years of running visual strategy for the Fortune 500 and compiled it all into a book to make sure that anybody who wants to learn how to do this is empowered to do so. So the book is written for marketers. It's written for brand communicators. It's written for small business owners and it's written for designers but it speaks a common language so that regardless of your industry, regardless of your level of expertise, it's very easy to digest and understand. It takes the complex process of visual communication. It explains the science and the brain science behind it along with a lot of studies that, that really help to pull that forward. But then it dives into the how in eight very easy to follow rules and steps with exercises that you can do to make sure that you're grasping it. It's really meant to be a, a way to make this extremely easy. But in reality, things that look extremely easy, like that guy up on the trapeze, take an awful lot of work and practice, right? It's very true. And the fact is, is if you're not a graphic designer yourself, the lessons of this book aren't going to make you a graphic designer. The lessons of this book are going to give you the language necessary to manage a good graphic designer, to ensure that you're communicating with them in the best possible way and setting expectations with them and also ensure that you can properly kind of coach them through what you need. And so if you're not a graphic designer, the fact is, is no book is going to teach you how to be a good graphic designer. Being a good graphic designer takes time, it takes practice, and for a lot of graphic designers, it takes innate skill. The fact is, is some people just have the innate, amazing skills to be phenomenal graphic designers, and one of the first lines of my book is, I am not a graphic designer. I'm a visual strategist. My background, like I said, is in film. It's in, it's in marketing. It's not in graphic design. I've held graphic design jobs, but I'm not, I don't actually picture myself as somebody who's good at graphic design. I'm a good creative director. I know how to speak to graphic designers and get the best work out of them. And I know how to guide them to ensure that they're following the best practices of visual communication. But I use the tools and tactics in this book all the time to lead my own design team. When, when it uh, comes to uh, the book, Many of our people are now listening to this on a podcast, and they didn't see what was over your shoulder. You'd better tell them what it is and where they can get it. Very good point. Um, the book is called Killer Visual Strategies, uh, named after my agency, actually, also called Killer Visual Strategies. The book is widely available on um, Amazon. We don't have it in any physical bookstores during COVID right now, so... Um, Amazon, Book Hub, um, basically wherever books are sold online, you can get the book. Um, I highly suggest Amazon actually, because that's where you're gonna get the best price. We have it on a sale right now on Amazon. So it's under list price right now. 
Um, and I highly suggest getting the physical copy of the book. It's really meant to be something you can consistently reference as you work. Hey, here's something that you may or may not uh, uh, have the expertise on, and that is the attention span of humans. It seems to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter. You're looking at 10 second commercials and there was an attempt on the internet to have seven second visuals. What on earth can you possibly tell other than look out, it's coming at your head in seven seconds. So that's the idea of, of visual communication. If you think about kind of the purest form of visual communication, it's what you see on billboards. Billboards have six seconds to tell you about a product or service, to explain the value of a product or service, and to really get your attention and help you remember that going forward. And so if it can happen in a billboard, it can happen everywhere else. And that's really the concept. It's about ensuring that you're leading with the right visual cues to connect with somebody at the subconscious level so that they'll retain that information and make a decision later. Now, I can talk to you about attention spans as well. There's a lot of studies around attention spans. Um, the fact of the matter is the most popular study out there says that attention spans are eight seconds long. But in reality, that study has been debunked time and time again. Um, it was a study of less than 200 people, and that really doesn't make a sample audience of you know, the globe. But there are dozens of studies, eye tracking studies and click rate studies through major social networks, through Google and things like that. They all have a pretty decent consensus that the average attention span is about five seconds in length. And that means somebody will spend five seconds looking at what's in front of them to decide if they want to click through and dive deeper. It's almost like you're in the military and you're, you're making a five second decision or less on whether to uh, shoot that shadow. Yes, very true. <laughs> Quick question. How did you come upon the name killer for your agency? Uh, Im immediately it brings to mind the body with the chalk outline. You know, it's, it's funny because as you say that, my publisher wanted to call the book Killer Visuals and I had to explain why that wouldn't work out well, that people would think it was a book that was just filled with murder photos, basically. Um, so the name, this, this kind of plays into the, uh, the, the fact that the, the agency was a little accidental. The name was an idea that my old business partner came up with. He originally came up with Killer Infographics. And we had a completely different idea for what killer infographics would be. We weren't planning to start an agency. Um, we would have actually come up with a more, um, I hate to say it this way, but pretentious name if we wanted to start an agency because it, it definitely makes you seem more valuable when you have a name that, um, that doesn't necessarily have a specific niche meaning like ours does. Um, but really it was originally intended to be a website that was a directory of infographics online where we critiqued those infographics but what happened was people started to see our critiques and say well it sounds like you can do better so why don't you design infographics for us and that's how everything started snowballing from there um, we renamed the company to killer visual strategies in the middle of 2019 
mainly because we've been doing more than infographics since 2012. Um, but really we wanted to keep the name killer because that's what we're known as. That's, that's our brand. Whatever comes after the word killer isn't necessarily our brand. People call us killer. Um, it, it's funny when we do work for uh, Starbucks backward, back when Howard Schultz was at the helm, he refused to call us killer. He hated the name. So uh, within that's Starbucks- probably not good for a company that sells things that you drink. Yes, exactly. So within Starbucks, they always called us KIG because we were called killer infographics at the time. So it was our, our kind of secret way of getting, getting out there without offending. Now, you've said a couple of times, you kind of eased into this. It kind of, this business snuck up on you. Now, mm -hmm. Tell us what that was like, because occasionally we have interviewed people who have gone through the same metamorphosis, if you will, rather than starting out with a grand business plan, the Harvard Business School approach, et cetera. So what happened? So originally, we had a completely different business model. Um, my old business partner came to me asking if I wanted to start a series of websites with him that would be lead generation websites. And after about six months of him asking me almost daily, I finally gave in and said yes. Um, and so we first ventured out to start a slew of websites. I used my background in online marketing and web design, and I did all the SEO and development of all of the sites. We had about 20 of them. Um, that started in February of 2009. By June of 2010, the sites were making just enough money for us to quit our day jobs. And by that, I mean, we were making a whopping $4,000 a month, which living in Seattle, Washington is not enough to split between two people, um, especially when both of us were the, were the ones kind of paying our mortgages and stuff like that. Um, but we realized if we didn't go full time, we wouldn't ever be able to build it beyond that $4,000 a month. So we had saved a lot of money, each of us um, on our own, and decided we're going to live off of savings and try to grow this company. My very first step in my first two weeks um, being full time focused on Zippy Cart, which was our, our website that was doing really well. I started creating infographics for the SEO value. It was June of 2010. I love to say you could slap the word infographic on any piece of garbage and it would succeed. And my first couple of infographics, which are shown in the book, are garbage. They're really bad, um, but it's how I learned. I learned from mistakes. So I made mistakes. I grew from those mistakes. I took criticisms from those mistakes and applied them to my next, my next infographic. And by, um, geez, by August, we had launched Killer Infographics, the directory website. And by the end of September, we had our first, um, our first agency come to us saying, we want you to design infographics for us because you keep giving us negative critiques of our designs. So you must know what to do. Um, so immediately, I kind of saw it as an opportunity and um, reached out to a number of freelance designers I knew that were looking for work at the time and said, hey, I can fill your plate with some work. Let's give this a try. In Q4 of 2010, we did 14 orders. In January of 2011, we did 40 orders. And so it was kind of this pivot that just naturally happened over time. 
it was a little rough. Um, it was definitely not the business direction my old business partner wanted to go. There's a reason why I kind of took it from there. Um, but it was definitely something that for me kind of culminated in exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and luckily I also had a great team that, that started coming on and helping us figure it out. But we were reactive for the first few years, incredibly reactive. We didn't become truly proactive on you know, saying this is the type of company we wanna become and these are the goals we wanna set. We didn't start doing that until around 2014. Um, so it was definitely a, um, a whirlwind for a while. And I always have said to myself, anything I start in the future, I will sit down and take the time and plan it intentionally. But there's something great about not being so married to your original business model. And that is you do get to pivot when the opportunity arises. And that's what we did. Did, did you ever have sleepless nights wondering whether this was the right course? And if so, how did you overcome doubt? I, I have had so many sleepless nights, it's crazy. I constantly um, will look at the gray hairs that have formed and things like that and just say to myself, oh gosh, this business has aged me so much so fast. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know of a single business owner who doesn't have doubt, um, and who doesn't second guess the direction that they're going. And really, um, I think one of the best compliments I've ever received is by the CEO of my parent company, because I sold killer at the end of 2018, the CEO of my parent company, um, came to me and said that I'm one of the most resilient people that he knows. And I do think that a lot of the um, success that we had was success of resiliency, not necessarily of um, certainty or expertise in running a business. We learned, and when I say we, I mean myself and the, my exec team, we kind of have been just a scrappy bunch learning as we go. And we've, we've really lucked out in the fact that we embrace mistakes. And so while yes, I've had many times of doubt, I've always known that if I fall, I have people around me who will all help me come back up. We all pick each other back up and we never berate each other for those mistakes. Those mistakes are an opportunity to learn, to do it better the next time. And so really, as long as you kind of focus on, on that, the sleepless nights will still come, but you, know, you do know that if you fail, you can move past it. And We've had, I've fallen on my plate, my face plenty of times in the past decade, plenty. Luckily, I just get back up. <laughs> oh, there you go. But why did you sell the company though? Was that an exit strategy? Um, no, it was actually because in this marketplace, when you're running an agency, you have a couple of options. As a small agency, you can either get by by undercutting your competitors price-wise but we can't really do that because we don't use freelancers. Our entire team is in-house and that's very intentional. It ensures that our clients get a consistent team for years and it ensures full accountability. We don't have an independent third party that we have to chase down to get the work done. So for me, that was very important, but it does mean that we can't compete on price. We bring more value to the table we cannot undercut our costs. 
And so I knew that I couldn't stay small in, in the way that most small companies do and last. I also knew that the economy usually has a, a dip every 10 years and paying Seattle salaries is something that, you know, we had built ourselves up to be able to do, but I wasn't sure if we'd be able to withstand a big economic hit um, without having to lose key members of the team. And so I decided I wanted to find a great partner that not only could help kind of fortify the business by doing what all agencies do when they look to sell. They, they join a roll-up. They look for other, agency, other like agencies that they can partner together and bring more to their clients. So I knew I wanted that, but I also wanted a parent company that could guide me, that could really help me grow as an entrepreneur and as a business leader. And I found it. I mean, I found such an amazing parent company um, they, they see the vision, they work really hard to support everybody within the portfolio. And as a portfolio of companies, we are coming together as one company, um, one big agency called Material. Um, we still have our independent, our independent groups, but our independent groups are really forming into single teams. It's an amazing thing. So we get to grow. We get to um, really secure the team's employment, which was really important to me, and get challenges that I don't think we ever could have done as a smaller company. I mean, we, we have so many great challenges and opportunities in front of us with some really great brands as a result. Where do you see your uh, unit of that company in five years? And where do you see visual communications overall in that Oh, take it five or even beyond that. So the unit of the company is the visual strategy unit. Um, that company is just going to get stronger. We have so many different ways we get to support not just the, the entire agency as a whole by kind of being an in-house studio, but we have a list of Fortune 500 clients that we serve. Um, we share a lot of clients across the group that we just, you know, when we all came together, realized, oh, we have a lot of the same clients. So we're able to pull in each other's services and share and help more clients. So we'll continue to serve our clients as we always have. Um, we just get to also serve the clients of um, the other companies in the portfolio. So I see nothing but growth for the business unit. Um, and growth for the company as a whole. We're about 1,200 people strong right now, and I see that growing. Um, but when it comes to visual communication, that is not going away. Visual communication has been around since we were putting cave paintings on walls. That's the original visual communication. It is very natural for us to communicate and speak visually as a species. And so I see visual communication becoming more and more ingrained in who we are and what we do, especially with augmented reality and virtual reality playing even larger roles in how we connect, especially after COVID. I, I think that we've all learned to be so much more virtual with one another that we've had to find ways to keep human connections through the digital realm. 
And visual communication is such a huge piece of that. So I don't see it going away. I see it becoming even more necessary today than, or, or pardon me, tomorrow than it is today. Now, you've been very generous with your thoughts and observations. Uh, uh, what would you like to talk about that we haven't been bright enough to ask you? Um, ooh, that's a good question. I, I think that it's, it's always good to kind of give a bit more explanation on why visual communication is so important. I've touched on the brain science just a little bit, but I think one of the best ways to consider why visual communication is such a, such a major part of today. And in my opinion, a necessity for any content marketer 2021 and beyond is because we are all now content creators. This podcast is a perfect example. Utilizing a tool like Zoom and some good backgrounds, we're creating a video right here, right now, without having to do too much heavy lifting. Um, and this is, yeah, I, I realize there's heavy lifting in posts. Um, <laughs> um, but ultimately, every one of us has content creation tools in our pockets now. And, and Pinterest and, and pardon me, not Pinterest, Instagram and Snapchat, um, TikTok, these have all made video editing, Photoshop, Photoshopping and editing um, so much easier. It's all at our fingertips. As a result, our expectations for what brands present to us are much higher. And it's because if we can do it ourselves, we expect a brand, by brand, I mean Global 2000, a brand that is well-known, that has a lot of money. We expect a brand to step up and meet us, at least at our level, if not much better. And honestly, anything else comes across as lazy. So if there's some tips I can give your listeners, one of the biggest tips out there, do not use stock photography. Stock photography it might connect with audiences, I'd say Gen X and above, kind of, but ultimately millennials and Gen Z especially abhor stock photography. And it's because they're all professional photographers. I'm, I'm a millennial, so I can say it. Um, <laughs> we all consider ourselves professional photographers because we have Instagram filters that allow it. And it's not true. We don't necessarily have that kind of an ego but we can recognize a candid photo versus a stock photo so easily. And because of that, if we see stock photos as the main way of trying to get our attention, we kind of turn away from it because it just seems like a lazy approach to get our attention when there are plenty of other brands out there that are trying to earn that attention. And I think that's important to note. Millennials and Gen Z, we know that that we are feeding the world with data about what we want. And as a result, there is an expectation that you're gonna use that data to really earn our time as your audience, as opposed to taking advantage of it. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.